Welcome to Christians in the Public Square with your hosts, Cole Bennett and Scott Self. Scott, welcome to season three. I'm so glad that, you know, uh, one of the, one of the downsides of not having done recordings is that you and I didn't talk as much while we weren't doing recordings other than, other than the times I got to hang out at your house. And so I miss it. Me too. I don't see how your life is complete at all without talking to me on a daily basis. I just don't see how that's no, I agree. Worth living. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is great. And we have a lot in store for season three. We already have um some guest speakers lined up and some topics ironed out, and we even have a video podcast coming. So we have a lot of things for citizens in the public square coming up. Yeah, and I want to, uh, as a as a way of kind of getting into that, I wanted to, I wanted to take some time to um, talk about what we might have been through between the between the last episode of season two, which was a speaker's corner, and I think I kind of shared some frust not frustrations the wrong word, just some deep questions that I was having about what we're doing with the podcast and um, what our audience thinks we're doing. <laughs> some of our audience thinks we're doing i think i told you about this that one one person who listens to the podcast was saying you know i think you let cole off the hook uh mm-hmm. on this one argument you let him pass as though i, I was trying to win an argument right and uh i don't i'm not interested in winning an argument with my buddy i uh that's not the point i think you and i have spent a lot of time thinking out loud with each other what the point of the podcast is, which is to be brothers mm-hmm. and to show what brothers look like when they decide to be brothers and, you know, and then everything else is just details. Like we say in the, in the three tenets that brothers first and everything else is details. That's not just for grins. That's how, that's how we exist. And it's not just how we stay friends. It's in, those are ethics for us, right? their values. Right. And we are passionate about our sides and we let our flag fly and we try to unfold and unpack and make persuasive our sides. Right. Uh, But I don't think I'm ever going to really get you to budge on many things. And that's okay. I want our listeners to hear all the sides and all the ins and outs and say, okay, now I know more about this topic or that side or this political issue. Um, but it's not because one of these folks persuaded the other one at the end of the podcast episode to say, okay, now I agree with you. Right. Right. No, I, if I, I know that your flags look different than my flags, <laughs> but I have at times thought, Oh, you know, uh, if, if this were falling down, I, I would be more than happy to help him pick it back up. <laughs> I want and, you to, I want you to believe what you believe you believe. Yeah. Um, I want that for you. I want you to have that uh, assurance of your conviction. And if I feel like you're waning, I don't feel like I'm winning. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Is that because you feel really at the end of the day, like it's my folks who hold society up, Scott? Is that? Yes. (laughs) No, you want to know what I think is uh, I do think that if you, we can end up with a tyranny of compromise. Yes, I think um, that recently. Yeah, I don't. Uh, even epistemologically, I don't think that it works for us to uh, to negotiate ourselves into some middle ground 
I think there's value in the dialogic. I think there's value in discourse mm -hmm. and there's value in extremism as long as that extremism happens uh, within an ethical structure, but there's value in extreme. We have extreme views. I, I am not your typical uh, Democrat. <laughs> you got that right. You ain't, you are in no way representative of, of a Republican point of no. view. No, no. Uh, we're extremists. I don't know. I don't know how important being an extremist is, but I do, I do believe in the importance of a wide variety of points of view for the sake of the public good. Mm -hmm. That if we were all like me, we'd have problems. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, if we were all like you, we would have big problems. But big, even bigger, <laughs> you would say. Well, since since we ended our second season, uh, a lot of things have happened. We've had several months of a new president. We've had a new variant of the back of the yeah of the COVID virus. We've had a lot. You know, we thought the virus was going away as we closed our last season. And it turns out we're wearing masks again. And there's a, there are huge discussions about vaccinated and unvaccinated. And this country's doing this. And that country has done that. Why can't we learn from them? And um, I have several friends who are nurses. And they're telling me stories about their hospital daily rounds that are just mm. awful. So there's, there's a lot that a Christian who stands in the public square and has an interest in engaging the public uh, can can engage with. And so as we thought about where we might start today, I think that, Scott, you said you would like to kind of revisit the trajectory that you were on at the end of the last season. Well, um, yeah, I struggled. Um, I struggled through most of Trump's presidency, but I have struggled as an adult um, with the church. And I've been frustrated by the church. I was in ministry and I would be frustrated. And I think that's where some of that frustration comes. I think I've even made this argument on the podcast that I see a big difference between what I believed I was taught and then what I hear coming out of the same teacher's mouths. I mean, I was confronted with it today when I was looking at Facebook and a woman that taught me in Bible class when I was a kid saying something that is abjectly stupid and wrong, and she should apologize. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm, th there's, a, there's a part of me that is very frustrated because I feel like I agreed with what you taught me, and then you, turns out, didn't believe it. Hmm. You being the Christians who taught me. You taught me that loving my neighbor was the most important thing, but you won't get a vaccine because you have rights. You told me that loving my neighbor more than myself, it comes Jesus first. I remember joy bus, Jesus first, other second, yourself last, but you can't wear a mask because you've been, you've convinced yourself that it's lowering your O2 sats, even though it's not. Uh, you know, that it's, it's creating some harm or just because you have rights. I don't understand how that fits into Jesus first, your other second, yourself last, because you have, you clearly don't believe it. 
And uh, if it sounds like I'm still angry, I'm not. <laughs> uh, but I I have access to that um, to that feeling because it really frustrated me. It frustrates me to hear. No, it's not. I think you get frustrated by bad arguments. I've learned that uh, about you, Cole. Uh, and unfortunately, you know what a good argument is. So <laughs> you might get frustrated more often than you wish by bad arguments. I get frustrated by what I feel like are just blatant lies about what we really, what we really believe as Christians. You and I came up in a, in a religious tradition that, that really focused on trying to understand the scriptures, not, you know, we, we kind of looked askance to the traditions of men, but we believed that scripture would be a guide for us on how, on how to live our lives. And then, and then to see those same folks throwing it all away because they have a hot sports opinion about something just, it just really frustrated me. And it frustrated me when, when we had a, when we had a leader who Christians felt like they needed to defend, not, not excuse, or not say, well, you know, we live in a fallen world. I understand that argument. I don't agree with it, but I understand that argument that we live in a fallen world and there's no such thing as a perfect person. Great. Uh, but don't tell me that what is black is white. Don't tell me what is good is bad. And don't tell me what bad is good. And I struggled. I struggled to the point, Cole, that you know, I live here in East Tennessee now, and I'd be driving in the country. And there, there are, when I say there are Donald Trump signs out here, I mean, there are uh, billboards in people's front yards that are painted like with Confederate flag and Trump's name in the middle of it. And I would look at those and want, and, and have an opinion about who lives in that house. That was not attractive where I did not imagine them to be lovely people. A pretty good idea how, you know, how terrible the jerks they are. There's a guy, bless his heart, he had his house uh, level during the tornado in 2020. It was a tornado came through this area in the early part of 2020, just weeks before we moved here. His house was leveled and he's, he's finally got it rebuilt. The whole time he had a sign in his front yard that said, God, Trump and guns. <laughs> and then I see him sitting out on his front porch and I'm like, what a jerk, you know, that I'm, I'm going to, I'm confessing. I'm not bragging. I'm confessing that I'm looking at that guy thinking, what a jerk, instead of bless his heart. I wonder if he needs any help, you know, swinging a hammer. I just had, I just had a hot sports opinion about who he was based upon that sign. And I'm, I think that I tried up until very recently to look around it, to look at the human on the other side of it and look around the sign. The sign is a metaphor, but it, it was in some ways a literal metaphor. It was trying to look around it and to see the person uh, almost kind of try to ignore the thing that is in between me and the other person. And I've stopped doing that. I've started to try and do something else that has brought me some peace. Do you want to know what that is? I can't wait. I try to look through the sign. I'm really working to try and understand how you can be lovely and, uh, and, and, uh, and assume that you can be lovely and have that sign in your front yard. 
um, to believe that you're a good person, to believe that your desire to make sure that we uh, have the right to bear arms and equating that with God is okay. It's okay. It's fine. You're lovely. It's not, uh, it's not looking around it and saying, I think you're lovely anyway. Or, you know, if we just, if I just ignored this, then I can believe that you're, that you're lovely. I'm having to say, no, you're lovely. You just, you keep on believing it. Like the way I let Cole keep believing what he believes, let you believe what you believe, even though it's, even though I think you, you might want to have rethought it, but I'm not going to ask you to. And that's different. Referencing what you said a moment ago, it's different from declaring it morally good. You're yes. not saying it is good that that belief or that sign or that attitude is good. You're just saying that the person who believes that is good and you're not going to question or you're trying to not question that. Yeah. Um, um, I've decided I need to refuse to question it. Got it. Yeah. I, uh, and, and so when we were preparing, you said, oh, so what you mean is that uh, there are good people, but they're wrong. And I'm trying to come to know they're just good people. And, uh, and boy, if you're hearing me just talk about people who voted for Trump, you're missing my point. <laughs> I'm talking about Christians who I felt like uh, had flipped a script on me. And I've been hard on the church, Cole. I think you've heard me be hard on the church. I mean, since the beginning of the podcast, because that has been, I've been hard on the church most of my adult life. Uh, even when I worked for the church, I was hard on it. And I justified that. You know how I justified it was when well, Jesus was hard on the Pharisees. And that is a, is a kind of righteous indignation about the ways that, um, well, built upon this idea that Jesus has um, expects something better of the Pharisees than how they are and has, you know, wants them to live uh, agape. And so the, you know, loving one's neighbor is more important than the Sabbath. And I feel like you should get that. Um, but so if you, wrong with that? what's wrong with being hard on people who are claiming to be Christians and then embracing poor behaviors. What's wrong with being hard on them? Like Jesus is hard on the Pharisees. Well, okay. But first of all, putting a Trump sign in your front yard is not poor behavior. That's number one. Okay. Choosing to vote for somebody that I think is evil is not bad behavior. Um, defending Donald Trump is not bad behavior. And that's some of what I've had to get through. And I, that may be a no duh for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of our listeners, you know, of the eight. Yes. It seems like that's a no duh thing, but that's where I have allowed myself to get to is deciding who is good and who's not good. Who's doing this the right way. I, I think our hundreds and hundreds of listeners would say, no, a Christian voting for Trump is bad behavior. What are you talking about? Yeah. So I've, I've decided so that's wrong. Say more about that, please. Uh, we kind of started off here when we were talking about what we want for each other. I really, I believe in you, Cole, as an individual, as a 
as a human, because I know what is important to you. And so it doesn't matter to me when you say this is my position on something, I know what's important to you. But it's almost as if you, uh, the, the, the way that this plays out is you, you've passed some test because I know you. And my neighbor down the road hasn't passed that test because they don't know them. So I'm looking at the story of the Good Samaritan a lot lately, just in case there is one of the eight listeners doesn't know the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, it starts with the question of who's my neighbor. And it's interesting that the question was, whom do I love? But then Jesus tells the story of the Samaritan. It's not that it's not that the good that the Samaritan was loved, is that the Samaritan did the loving. And so the question was the wrong question. The question was, who is my neighbor? So it's love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, yeah. Well, well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus turns around and asks, now who acted as a neighbor? And it's not that the Samaritan got served. It's that the Samaritan did the serving. And that was, it illustrates that it's not my job to figure out who my neighbor is. It's my job to be a neighbor. It's my job to love other people, not to ask whether other people are lovable or lovely. They, they get my agape as I'm driving by their house regardless of what they had in their front yard. Hmm. And again, I, I hope that everybody recognizes I'm that although that is a, uh, a thing I'm working on, it's the metaphor for the larger thing I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are many ways to be quote unquote unlovely. And you're not just talking about who you vote for, but yeah, in our ways of, of judging people's behavior, you're trying to look beyond what you assume about them and just try to leap to agape, including your Sunday school, including your Sunday school teacher. That's right. Now, uh, as frustrated as I was, she's my Sunday school teacher. I know her, I know who she is. And, and so she passed the test before she put the stupid Facebook post up, but she shouldn't have had to pass the test. So perhaps if I can just infer a little bit here, when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he was saying everyone has already passed the test. I'm wondering if that's true. I'm, that's what I'm working on is I'm yeah. wondering if that's true, whether everybody already passed the test. Um, and ironically, I'd give a break to somebody who uh, I feel like didn't pass the test, but didn't know any better. Than, than the people closest to me that I feel like should know better or feel like do know better, right? Right. If I, okay, so if I were listening to this episode, maybe as a new, like listener number nine, now, <laughs> um, I would think, well, perhaps they are advocating for this um, Anabaptist thought of let's not engage the public square at all because if we've already decided that people – uh, have whatever their behavior have are deserving of my agape. Why should I try to engage the public square to uh, to help arrange society in the best way? So are you giving up? No, no. Uh, 
I'm engaging. That's that's the opposite of what I'm doing. Oh, <laughs> okay. Say more. Uh, I'm engaging even more, but not. Yeah, this is a good question, Cole. I'm I'm engaging more, but less about the discussion in the public square. I think I need to be in the public square holding people while they're crying out for whatever position they have. I have, have you been watching Ted Lasso? No. I oh, not. Cole, you have to. Now don't watch season two. It's terrible. That's so far. Tell me. Yeah. That's, and I've been telling people, my buddy said, don't watch season two. And they said, no, give it a minute. So. Yeah. And maybe I do need to, I, I, I'm uh, anyway, this is not about that, uh, the season two, but the opening what do they call it? The theme music, you know, with the montage yeah. that runs in the opening. Yes. He sits in a uh, in these stands. They're they're blue chairs, but he sits down, and one is the one he sits in is red, and then the others around him turn red, and then it spells Ted Lasso. It's so beautiful, Cole. It's this idea that he has an infectious warmth and. You've you've been in England long enough to know why that's uh, so precious uh, for an American. You know, almost seems like a rube, almost somebody, almost stupid, almost <laughs> stupid friendly, yeah. but having an effect on the lives around him. And he's just received as stupid friendly until until the 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 real magic of starts to change the lives around him, and they accidentally find themselves. Uh, living this life of loveliness because of him. It's really, it's really special to think about. You don't get to do that from afar. You don't get to do that outside the public square. And I think the, I think the, uh, you know, taking a, uh, if you want to call it Anabaptist or Mennonite or a separationist view is, oh, no, no, no. I'll go be a good person over here uh, almost monastically. Right. Um, And pull away from the public square. Because the public square is talking about stuff that's not important to me. I don't see Jesus doing that. I see Jesus asking a Samaritan woman for a cup of water, and he didn't bring anything to drink from. So he wants to drink after her. He's in the public square. He's there, man. He's having relationships and interacting with folks. And then when they ask him, hey, should we worship on this mountain or that mountain? He draws them in even closer. I mean, that story is so powerful. When he says to the Samaritan woman, may I drink after you? She's confused because he doesn't have a cup and he's a man and he's a Jewish man asking a Samaritan woman who's drawing water in the middle of the day. So clearly she's got a, there's what other people in in her community think about her. And he's asking her, could I have a sup, uh, sip of water? And I'm probably gonna have to drink after you to do this. And she thinks that's revolutionary. But by the time you get to the finish to the end of that story, she says, come meet a man who knows everything I've ever done. That's what she says to herself, to the fellow villagers when she invites them out. Come meet a man who knows everything I've ever done. That's not somebody who sits on the outside of the public square. It's somebody who sits in the center of the public square and passionately acts in agape. And in fact, when they've got questions He's more than happy to turn back and say, yeah, I don't care. Worship on this mountain, worship on that mountain, whatever. 
I want to be that. I want to find, I'm working real hard to try and find that because I need, I need to, I need to, that's who my master is. And I need to find out how to be more like that to say, doesn't matter what you think. I love you. I love you. You are lovely and worthy of my agape, not in spite of what you think, but through it. And so I, this is a little bit about where I am at this point. If you need a foil to represent the left side of things, sure, whatever, I'm happy to do that. But I am less interested in that anymore. I understand that we need to be able to, to, to model that the dialogic for our audience. And I'm comfortable to do that as long as it's clear. I don't care anymore about any of it. I can't, that my, my, I have one purpose. Paul said this one thing I do, and I'm, I'm convinced that we do have to be in the public square and that we have to begin seeing each and every person in that public square as lovely and maybe begin and end. And that that's our work. That's our work. Lovely in the, in the human, in the spiritual way, whether they are lovely or unlovely in the human way. Right. Is that what you're saying? Um, We have to see them as lovely the way Jesus would see them as lovely no matter what we think of looking through what might seem unlovely at first glance. That's right. That's yeah. You, you really hit it that time. I think um, we might say we might be guilty of saying, and, uh, and I would have never accepted this in my adulthood about Jesus and the woman, the Samaritan woman, a lot of Samaritans in our conversation today. Um, I would have never accepted somebody saying, well, Jesus loves the woman, even though she's, Adulterous. I don't think she's adulterous. I think she's been left behind five times, but whatever. Uh, he does interact with the adulterous woman in uh, John, uh, the end of John seven, beginning of John eight. You know, he. I, I I would have never accepted the 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 suggestion that well, what Jesus is doing here is he's loving the woman in spite of the fact that she's. Uh, been married five times. He loves the woman and he loves her through the fact that she's been married five times that she's left over. He loves her in it. Yeah. So then let me just push you a little bit and say, other than being a foil, um, are you no longer interested in, you know, an issue like vaccinations and rights? Does that, does that not strike you as something that you should engage as a Christian interested in in addressing how uh, the government is operating in your space? Um, on the vaccinations, no. Okay. I don't think we're persuading any. I don't think we've done a good job of persuading anybody to anything. I was... <laughs> I was having this conversation um, with a with a friend of ours who works for a church, and uh, one of the members asked him for an exemption letter so that they didn't have to get the vaccine. And um, 
and the question started, do you, you know, do you write the letter for the, for the church member or not? If he decided not to write the letter for the church member, it's not like the church member is going to go, well, that's a great point. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Right. We're not, we are not current. Our public square is currently not in a place where persuasion is happening. We're in a place where we're calcifying points of view. Hmm. That's and, and I think, I think what he needs to, you know, what he probably needs to be able to do is figure out how to say, Hey, um, I'm not going to sign this for you, but here's really where I want you to be thinking is, uh, do you remember the, the joy bus? <laughs> yes. Okay. And I'm okay. just going to put it out there and I'm going to say, I'd like for you to be thinking about this and I'm not going to sign this letter for you, but I, I think you need to be thinking about this. And, and then if you still don't get the vaccine, I'm going to love you. That's, that's not an issue. That's not, I'm just going to say, Hey, um, let's, let's really focus on, Let's really focus on loving our neighbor. If for you, if loving your neighbor uh, in also involves not getting a vaccine, whatevs. <laughs> okay, I have two comments. Okay, hit me. Uh, hit me. I would say uh, that you're right on when you're when you say at this point we are more at a a place of calcification. That's a that's a really good term. I think a lot of people are just becoming more and more embedded in a view that some of them may not understand fully and some of them very well may, but they're just becoming calcified. And I would say that the calcification uh, weariness is becoming persuasive to some. Um, yes. I've been talking to and reading comments from some people who are like, I am so tired of this yeah. um, that I am, I am moving. Yeah. And so the second thing I would say to Scott, and you may really love this, is that it seems like the type of government that most allows what you're describing you want to do is <laughs> shut up. No, I'm serious. <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you that mean. That has always been my argument for the libertarian government is I can most be a Christian. I can most love my neighbor when I quit getting hassled and taken from by the state. So I congratulate you on your new libertarian <laughs> And, and just I so we're clear, that's not what I'm saying, and that's not what I believe, but I get it, and I love you through it. That's what I'm trying to say. 